The text of the morning is 1 John chapter 3, and the specific verses are 1 to 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself, just as He is pure. I went to see the high school boys basketball team of Bethlehem a few weeks ago played the final game with Central Baptist and before the game there was this little drama of life that happened with children out on the edge of the court and I saw something happen that probably has happened to every one of you in your childhood that leaves, leaves one of those marks on you that you never forget. It's almost a universal experience. They're playing out there, little three, four-year-old children, and they all know each other, and they're scuffling around, and one by one, they peel off to their parents on the side as it gets near time for ball game, and finally, without his knowing it, there's just one left. And it suddenly dawns on him in this strange basketball court up in the northern suburbs. I forget which church it was at. He sees nobody that he recognizes. Remember that feeling? And I watch. I'm just about 12 feet away here. I'm watching this face and knowing exactly what's going to happen and getting ready to move. And I wait long enough and I see his face turn from happiness and carefree playing with his friends to one of absolute panic and the little... Tears start to form, and the two words come out, Daddy? Daddy? And I run down, and I put my arms, and says, there he is, right over there. Took his face and pointed him right in, and there he's off. There is something inside us that remembers those times in the grocery store where she turns the corner with the cart, and you look both ways, and this ah, awful feeling, this feeling of abandonment inside of us. This feeling that if, if mommy and daddy are gone, and I'm only four, I have no one. It's just hopeless. Now I want you to, I want you to shift over to another scene. Suppose it's Rwanda a year ago, or Burundi last week, and you're a little boy, or a little girl, I'm going to be a little boy in this story. And you're playing in your village. And suddenly, all you hear is screams. And you turn to look for a familiar face. And all you see is strange, angry faces coming into your village with machetes in their hands. And instinctively, you run and dive under a big basket that your mother wove <clears throat> a long time ago. And you wait and are scared absolutely to death. And it becomes very silent. And when you walk out, 
there's nobody but bodies. Your father is dead. Your mother is dead. Your brothers and sisters are dead. And nobody's moving anywhere. And you collapse in tears on your mother's body. And you cry and you cry and you cry until you fall asleep. And a night passes. The next morning you wake up and there's still nobody. And you start to tremble. And you realize that not only is there nobody to take care of you. To protect you from the enemies if they were to come back. Or if a wild animal were to come into the village. But you're also incredibly thirsty. And hungry. And you stand up and go into the house. And you find a little bundle of bananas. And you eat one or two. And then you go out and you fall down and you cry. Again and again. And another day passes. And the next morning you wake up. And you decide, well, you're just going to die. You're just going to die. It's nothing you can do. You don't know how to live on your own. You're just a little four or five-year-old boy. And then you hear a noise behind you. And you turn. And it's a man with a strange face. But he speaks to you in your own language. And he says, don't be afraid. I want to help you. And you don't know whether to believe him or not. And the man comes and he puts his arm around you and he gives you some bread from his pouch. And he gives you some water from his water skin. And he says, I'm really sorry about your mom and dad. I'll help you bury them. And you don't say anything. You don't know what to think. But he helps you dig the holes and he bury your, your parents and your brothers and your sisters. And as you're working together, you begin to loosen up with him. And, and he says, I tried to stop them. And you learn that he was a part of the village town meeting of the enemy tribe where the decision was made to do the raid on your village and he was part of that tribe. And he had tried to stop them. He said, My son and I stood in the way. And uh, my son was killed. And then you notice the big lacerations on his arms and on the back of his neck. And his head was bloody too. As he had tried to stop his own villagers from coming. And he said, but if you come with me, I'll take care of you. Would you trust me? And you didn't know whether to trust him or not, but there was nobody else. There's no, nobody you could turn to. And so you go with him. And amazingly, you find out over the next several weeks that this man from this neighboring village has a, a university education from the University of Oxford. And that he has become an incredibly wealthy businessman doing business back and forth between uh, Rwanda or Burundi and uh, London. He has a house in Burundi. He has a house in London. He has a sheep farm just north of Leeds in Yorkshire. 
and you live for a while in his house there in Burundi and, and over time you begin to take long vacations with him up to London and he lets you go to his sheep farm there in Yorkshire, north of Leeds. And you can't understand why, but you start to feel like there may be hope beyond losing mother and father and brother and sister because you have sensed a love flowing from this man's commitment to you. And then, amazingly, as you get a little older, you find out that behind the scenes, this man, who has no other children, has been taking legal steps and has made you his legal heir. And that all of his possessions have been signed over to you. Now, I think that's the kind of serious reflection that's gone on in John's mind behind 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Now put this in the context of where we've been these last three weeks. Not only did it cost God his son to save us, not only were we part of the enemy tribe who for generations had been offensive to him, but now, amazingly, he has moved in on us not just to rescue us, not just to sacrifice for us, not just to give clemency to his enemies, but to move all the way in and take us into his family and make us the children of God. Now, this really is a third step in the demonstration of the love of God. And you need to, you need to feel it as a going beyond what we often talk about. I mean, God might have said... My son is too valuable to die for angels, let alone die for humans, let alone die for humans who are rebels and sinners and ungodly and hate me and run from me and ignore me and neglect me and use foul language to talk about me. My son is too valuable for that. So he might have just said no, but he didn't. He gave his son... And he gave him for enemies. But, but think of this. He might have said, alright, I am a God of love. And I will save them from death. And I will save them from sin. And I will save them from hell. Even at the cost of my son. And even though they are enemies. And I will give them eternal existence on a planet that I have prepared. And I will communicate with them through angels. And meet their needs and stay in heaven where I am. Because they are humans and they were once wicked. We could have done it that way. And that would have been awesome love. That would have been incomparable love. That would have been something we never dreamed of deserving. That we should be rescued from hell. And rescued from sin. And rescued from death. And given everlasting existence and had all of our materials need met on a nice planet somewhere in the universe with 
angelic emissaries back and forth between us and God meeting our physical needs. There's some people who would say, fine, I'll take that. But that's not where God stops his love. There is a third step that God has taken. His love is the kind of aggressive, penetrating, pursuing love, and he will not stop until the redeemed and the rescued and the justified and the forgiven are not just that on a planet somewhere with all their needs met, but are drawn in to his very family. That's the goal of God. Drawn into his very family. He will not stop loving until they are drawn all the way in. Now we can stop right there and say, there, that's it, that's it. And if we were dealing with the Apostle Paul, we, we might stop there because the Apostle Paul puts a lot of stock in the teaching about adoption. We're adopted into God's family, but we're in John. We're not in Paul. We're in John. First letter of John. And John never talks about adoption. It's something much more deep and more profound in the writings of John, the way we get into the family of God. It's also in Paul, but it's mainly in John. Namely, new birth. The way God has ordained to bring us into his family is not just adoption. I mean, that would be wonder of wonders. You kids who have been adopted into families, that's a wonder. That's a wonder that God has done. That's a glorious thing. It's all your parents could possibly do for you, but God can do more. God can do more. Human parents who adopt children might wish from time to time, but probably not, that they could go right bore to the very soul and center of the personhood of the little child and put some of their personhood in that child. But they can't. But God can. And God has. God will not settle just for adoption. He goes another step further, and by His Holy Spirit, He penetrates to the core of our being. He shares some of His own self with us so that we then, from inside ourselves, take on a family resemblance. It's called new birth. Little by little, the Holy Spirit abiding within us conforms us to our Father. It is an amazing, is an amazing, amazing thing that He has done. The love of God goes way beyond the story of that little child in Burundi who is sought out by the Lord. It says in 1 John 3, 9, No one who is born of God, born of God, born of God, practices sin because his seed, God's seed, abides in him and he cannot go on sinning because he is born of God. Now that is deeper than adoption. The seed of God, the Spirit, put within us a new birth, a bringing into being of something new and qualitatively different so that we can't go on sinning because we have a new nature after the image of God. 
And that new nature is bringing us into the family likeness of the Godhead. He will not settle in his love until he has brought us that close and the communion is that deep. Here's another verse pointing in this direction in 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. The evidence that God has moved into your heart to quicken and awaken that new nature is belief in Jesus Christ. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. What an aggressive love this is. What an amazing love. This is different from rescue. I mean, you can rescue someone from drowning or from a flaming building. You can rescue them. You can have your arms burn all up and rescue them. And they might fall down before you and love you. And you would say, I would have done it for anybody. It just came out and, and turn around and go away and live your life. And that would have been great love. But that's not the way God finishes his love for us. When he rescues us from the building or from the drowning, he washes us. And then he does what no human can do. There is no human analogy for this. He goes into us. God himself doesn't just incarnate into the world and die for us. When he rescues us, he goes into us, into the core of us, himself. We might say, how could he possibly do that? How could he possibly defile himself with a person like me? And he goes right to the center of our being and he awakens and creates a new thing. And he begins to spread out with his influence on you and make you into his family likeness so that you will be at home in his presence. And you will love his presence and you will echo back to him all of his values and all of his priorities. You know, God didn't think this up after the cross when he saw us rescued and, and justified and forgiven and said, hmm, well, I'll move in on that, people. He planned this way of loving you from eternity. Let me read you that from Romans 8.29. Whom God foreknew, he also predestined way before all things, he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. What was God's eternal purpose for you? God's eternal purpose was that his son, Jesus Christ, would have many brothers and sisters so penetrated by the work and power and reality of the Spirit that they were conformed to Jesus, the elder brother. That's what he planned from the beginning. He planned this extra love. He planned this incredible going beyond, this incredible pressing in upon and penetrating and taking to himself and bringing you all the way in to his family and not leaving you out there saying, look, I did nice things for you and you're all forgiven and you go live on a planet and have all your needs met. 
He brought you all the way in and said, I will be a father to you and you will be a child to me and we will be together and there will be no more sin or crying or pain anymore and I will walk among you and I will be your God and you will be my people. God will not stop in his love for you until you are all the way in and not only by adoption but by new birth. It is an amazing love. See what manner or how great love the Father has bestowed upon you that you should be called children of God. Oh, may God open your hearts to hear this this morning. I was praying with the family last night and said, how, how, how do we get our hearts awake to realities like this? What words can you find to describe what we are talking about right here. We're talking about God, the creator of the universe, so working in your heart as to awaken a likeness to himself, forgive you of all your sins, begin to conform you to the image of Son, his Son, that you might be with him in intimacy and nearness, the living God forever and ever and ever, that close. Let me mention... Three implications that maybe will help just maybe help the flower to open a little bit. Number one, it means that we are now led. It seems so ordinary. Led by the Spirit. Romans eight fourteen. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons. Of God. You are being led by the Holy Spirit if you are a child of God. Which I take to mean this. The Holy Spirit mercifully, condescendingly, lovingly, tenderly, usually quietly, is living in you mightily. And according to Romans 12, 1 and 2, what he is doing is conforming your heart, not to the world, and your mind, not to the world, but is transforming your mind and your heart to Him, to His Son, to Jesus, so that your priorities are no longer the priorities of the non-children in the world. Your values are no longer the values of the non-children in the world. You don't think the way the non-newborn Think. You don't love what the non-newborn think anymore. Your whole value system and all that you devote your life to and what moves your emotions and what drives your priorities is God. And therefore, you prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, and thus he leads you. It's no superficial external leading by whispering things in your ear. Oh, how unsanctified we would be and unconformed to Jesus if that's the way the Holy Spirit led us. Do you see the importance of not being mainly guided by prophecies and words of knowledge? And I believe in those things. But do you see the utter cruciality that that not be the normative way of guidance? 
The normative way of guidance is that we become children whose minds are the mind of Christ, who when we see a situation are so indwelt, transformed and empowered by the Spirit that we see it the way Jesus sees it and act the way Jesus would act. And if He wants to penetrate us periodically with special words to bring to our awareness an aspect of the situation we didn't see, I believe in it. And I'm ready for it. And I ask every time I step into this pulpit that he would do that for me. But that is not what makes you holy. What makes you holy is the new birth being worked out by the transforming leading of the Holy Spirit. Conforming you to the image of his son so that you're at home in heaven and an alien in the world. Want that ten thousand times more than you want a voice. Number two, you are now, as a child of God, different enough from the world that you shine like a light. Philippians 2.15, you are the children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear like lights in the world. The children of God are born of God that they might be lights of God. Little little fragments, as it were, of the character of God broken off and, and refracting His light all over in their business and at the school and in their office and at home and in the neighborhood. Little fractions and you know, refractions and you know, you become most fully human when this happens to you. And yet, you become alien to other humans. I wonder if it troubled you as you read in verse 1 of 1 John 3. Therefore, the world does not know you. You're more fully human when you are born of God and conformed to the image of His perfectly human Son than you ever were before and thus you become an unknown quantity to most humans. They don't understand your priorities. They don't understand your values. They don't understand what makes you tick. There is an ambiguity about this, I know, because there are two messages in the Bible. One is, this one, the world does not know them. And the other is Matthew 16, I mean Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. And the fact is that we are the light of God, refracting His glory in our conformity to His Son. And we are an offense to some and we are a revelation to others according to God's grace and awakening in their lives. And that is a tragedy. We are the... We are the aroma of life to life, and we are the aroma of death to death. And who is sufficient for these things, Paul says. One more implication, and we're done. This is the amazing one to me. It's what grips me. It may not be the most important one. It's just the one that took hold of me most powerfully. Romans eight sixteen and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children... Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. If you are a child of God this morning, you will inherit 
everything God owns. And that's more than a sheep farm in Yorkshire. I asked my sons last night, what's that? And they said, everything. 1 Corinthians 3.21 Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And at that moment, I just bowed and I said, Lord... Does anybody live that way? Does anybody? Do I live that way one day of my life? Because I thought about the implications of this. And it seems to me that the implications are something like God saying, Okay, um, so you like things. You like to have. You like to possess. You, you, you tend to boast in how much you have got in the stock market or what kind of house you live in or what kind of car you drive. or, or you, you just love possessions. All right? I'm going I'm to fix that. Um, you already own everything. So would you just please forget about that? And get on with the real business of loving people. That's the point of owning everything. So that you won't give a hoot about anything material. That's the point. Some people turn it right on its head and say, Huh, we're the heir of all things. And so we're the king's kids. And so we should have, 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 have. And the whole point is to free you from the love of having. You've got it. You will be the inheritors of the universe. You have got it. Let me close with a newspaper. Two years ago, this was in the paper. Our place in the universe. When I see things like this, I I read them. And I cut them out. Because I like help to feel the magnitude of God and His promises. Now, let's just close with a few facts here. And you translate these facts into all things are yours because you are a child of God because of the magnitude of his love. Okay? Our solar system, there's a picture of it. Isn't that neat? Picture of the solar system. 7.3 billion miles across the solar system. And our solar system... Is a little speck in Milky Way. There's a picture of the Milky Way, which is 80,000 light years across. Now, a light year is the distance that a uh, light travels in a year. And light travels at 186,000 miles per second. And there are 31.5 uh, billion seconds in a year. And that translates to about 6 trillion miles per year for light to go. And this is 80,000 light years across this Milky Way here. Or 480,000 trillion miles across. Got that? Comprehend that? You start, you start to realize why in Ephesians 3.18 Paul says that you might comprehend the love of Christ which passes 
knowledge. And, and then this Milky Way is a little dot here in the soap bubbles called the universe. They're calling them soap bubbles. Now, when you run out of metaphors at the upper end of your vocabulary, you turn around and you go to the bottom of your vocabulary and you use kitchen sink and, and it's, soap, it's soap bubbles now. And they have the audacity to talk about the edge of the universe being uh, 13 billion light years away, whatever that means. Now, let me just close by saying the point of putting us in this ocean of space and telling us that because we are children, we are heirs of all things, is not that we will fall in love with possessing stars, but that we will comprehend, if possible, the incomprehensible love of God. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of all things, not for the sake of all things, but for the sake of the enjoyment of a Father's love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we trust you and we want so much to be freed by you. And as the prayer team stand here at the front for a few minutes between the services, some of you need help seeing this, believing this, applying it to some situation in your life right now. They'd love to pray with you about that for a few minutes. Lord, dismiss us with a deepening sense of the depths of the love of Christ, I pray. And all the people said, Amen.